What's up and welcome to another episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel. I'm Hillary. I'm Clinton. And before we uh, welcome our guest, I'm back in Canada. Wow. Welcome uh, back. I don't know if I'm happy. Well, yes, I, I, I'm happy to be back. I, I'm, I'm happy to be back. I, I, I spent a long time with my family, I, friends. It was it was great. But I this is this is my home and this is my life. But the weather, eh, it is what it is. Uh Having that said, uh, we have our guest today. Uh, we have Savannah Thomas. She is, lives in Fredericton, and she's currently a UMB student. I think you're one of our younger guests. Uh, Hillary was one of our younger guests, but I think you're probably the youngest guest that we had. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So, uh, Savannah, tell us a bit about yourself. I mean, uh, just I, I want to break it down before you tell. Uh, we're basically going to talk about, like, school experiences and uh you know racism in schools and which better for people like hillary and you as well that grew up in this town to talk about it so uh we're doing well thank you uh so tell us a little bit about you um so i'm currently in school as you guys all know um but i also do a lot of writing on the side i'm part of the new brunswick black artists alliance um so we're doing a lot of work to get um unknown or lesser known black artists um a platform to showcase their work um and yeah <laughs> Shout out to Tandui. He was the guest in this podcast. So yeah, we definitely we definitely follow his work and what you guys do. Uh, so you grew up here in New Brunswick, born and raised. Yes. So tell us about like you uh, are you like your parents are from here? How how did it all come together? Um, so my mom is from here and she is white. Um, my dad is also from here and he's black, but he grew up in a small community called Elm Hill. Um, and that's pretty close to Gagetown. I'm not sure if you guys know of that or not, but yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah. So basically your dad is uh, from that descendant of like, well, Tandewi was a guest, uh, Mary Louise McCarthy, which was his mother. So he he kind of goes from that this same area, which mm -hmm. we know. So we know what that same area. So did your dad ever tell you about growing up as a black kid in New Brunswick? Um, not really. So my parents are actually divorced. So I grew up um, with my mom and like her side of the family. Um, so I learned a lot about um, my black history and Elm Hill and all of that just through educating myself and reading books and doing things like that. Okay, so do you, do you actually still have a relationship with your dad, or is that like not something that you guys? Get we have a we have a relationship. It's pretty good. We talk um, every day through email and stuff like that. And he's actually um, taught me a lot. We rekindled our relationship um, a couple summers ago, and it's going pretty well. Oh wow, that's great. That's that's good to have. Well, it's kind of similar to what Hillary. She kind of rekindled her her relationship with her dad. Not even kinda. We super rekindled. He emails me TikToks every night because that's what a 52-year-old man should be doing with his time. Hey, whatever makes the old man happy. That's, mm -hmm. that's what's up. So growing up in Fredericton, Fredericton is the capital of New Brunswick. Uh, it's basically a government town. A lot of people work in the government and a lot of people, it's, it's, it's being patronized for like a bougie place because that's how people think it is because of the of the capital is it is it that or is it 
just like a hick town like everywhere else in New Brunswick? Personally, I find it to be a very upper class and privileged city. Um, it's very white. Um, we do have like a, a broad cultural community, um, but it's not as big as the white population, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's the Maritimes, I guess that's, that's Atlantic Canada. If even you go to a place like Nova Scotia, which has like a rich black culture, there are not that many there. There's more white people again. So so tell us about your growing up. So you grew up in with your mom's side of the family, which is white. Uh, so pretty much, uh, you know, you got raised up in the, well, some people would be like the New Brunswick way, which is the English side. Uh, if people don't know, and if you hear this podcast, you probably know that we're a bilingual province. Uh, there's an Acadian uh, culture here as well. Uh, but you grew up in an English side, which mostly traditions of a white Caucasian family. So when did you realize that you were a person of color? Like, when did you realize that, that that came to you? Um, I would probably say that I was in elementary school, um, probably in the third or fourth grade. Um, you know, we used to have picnics at the end of like the school year kind of to celebrate. Um, and I had a, a classmate, you know, kind of, come up and question me about, you know, where my dad is and why he's not here. And, you know, then questions about, well, is your, like, what color is your dad and why, why is your family white and why do you not look like them and things like that. And I mean, I was so young, I didn't really understand necessarily like what they were getting at. Um, but of course my family, knew what was going on. And then of course we had to have conversations about race and all of those things. So how was that conversation like for, for a white parent to tell about their kid that like, Hey, this might happen to you or people will tell you X or Y. I mean, I can only imagine how difficult it was um, for my family um, just because, you know, you never want to have to tell a child that, something about them is going to make them stick out or make them different. Um, but, you know, my mom always talked to me about these things in an age appropriate way and any kind of question that I had, she always answered and nothing was ever off the table. Now that's, that's sort of interesting. Like it never came in your family, like on your surroundings with the family, but it came at school mm -hmm. and did you think uh, maybe when you hang out with your cousins or everybody, you were just part of the family part or was it, do you think it was something that it's your family, nobody cares, or is it something that it was say, Hey, never talk about this subject. I don't think, I mean, I think that it was something that was known. Um, but I mean, I'm also the youngest, well, I'm an only child. I'm also the only grandchild. <laughs> um, so, you know, all of my cousins are in their thirties now. So I didn't really have like any type of other children around me to talk about those things with. But I mean, for the older people in my family, it was definitely something that was, um, known, but it was never, you know, a problem or, something that we didn't talk about if that makes sense <laughs> so I'll, I'll ask that question to 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 hillary and clinton you as well as you guys are are mixed as well uh i know clinton you grew up in a big place with serrano which i don't think it's it's so like you probably saw people of color 
but that was never talked in your house either or or was it something that like i don't know how how was it in toronto because toronto because it's of the diversity it probably wasn't like a big subject um no in my house like things like color weren't really talked about too often um my parents really worked hard to try to teach us to not see color see that we it doesn't matter we're all the same we're all god's children so um I saw color all around me. Uh, I saw culture all around me, to be more specific. And while I always tried not to say color and said I didn't see color, I feel like I always did my whole life. But it's something that I liked and I loved and I appreciated. Uh, you, you, you guys, you folks hear me talk about it all the time. I always talk about how I grew up in like the most diverse city around every culture and what it was like and what it meant to me and stuff like that. So especially being... Um, interracial and sometimes feeling like what is your culture what is your community uh you could kind of find solid solidarity and just kind of being around the whole world everyone um yeah what about you hillary like was that ever a conversation um i remember it being conversation in weird ways so like because my mom had me at 43 it wasn't like there were cousins or siblings or people to point out that I was different because it was really just me and my mom and it was really the community that I was in and at school that it became a problem or that it was brought to my attention Um, as I've talked about on this podcast several times my mom made me very aware that at the age of two I was called a nigger baby and that people were going to be racist to me I think because she was very afraid of having to deal with that and so instead of letting it happened to me when I was at an age that I would understand that I was different. She was ready to um, tell me upfront, people are going to have this problem with you. They're going to dislike you for this. It has nothing to do with you, your capabilities. You're just beautiful and they're jealous. Um, my mom always tried to force like black Barbie dolls and baby dolls onto me to make sure that I felt like that there was at least some modicum of representation and inclusivity, but I only ever wanted what all the other kids had. So I had no interest in, as we've, I've said many times, but like I had no interest in my blackness. Um, And I just remember my mom talking about people who were um, not related to me, but that we knew who maybe were using me as their token black person to prove that their family wasn't racist. And I don't want to say who in my life, but because these people are still in my life, but there are certain people who she felt like, yeah, they flaunt around that they know you so that they can dispel the idea that their family used to be racist. And that was a really weird thing for me to hear at like the age of 10. Um, But yeah, growing up, with just me and my mom, it was, it was very like open, honest flow of conversation. Huh. And I, I, you know, I think this in context and I, and I, I I think this in context myself, because I, I didn't live through that experience. My experience was totally different because I grew up in another country uh, where there is some type of racism, but it's kind of not said, or, or it's a little bit, it's a little bit different there. Uh, Definitely. uh, But I think, I will say to the listeners, if you haven't uh, read George Eliot Clark book, uh, please read it. I think it's a very good book. And he talks about when he discovered the N-word as a kid. Uh, it's a hilarious top. It's a hilarious chapter that he starts throwing. They start throwing rocks at him and calling him nigger 
and he didn't understand the word. And he started throwing rocks at the other white kids saying, and he was saying them niggers and the white kids were like stunned. Like, what the fuck is he saying like that for? He didn't understand it. And, and he didn't understand what the word was. And, you know, his dad had to explain them and, and he'd explain it with sugar cups. So, so that was kind that's kind of interesting on that subject uh, of how people, realize that they're black <laughs> like because i think uh, we always said in this podcast uh we don't see ourselves as blacks the white men puts us as black and then we're like oh we're black and that's the reason and that's what the whole book we nobody I, I don't think anybody else is saying like oh uh, a, a three-year-old or a four-year-old is like oh my name is sean and i'm black right like unless they teach him that uh but i mean that's part of the thing like Hillary had a, a good thing. Like, did you realize, uh, were you interested, which I don't think most children are, in your blackness? Or was it something that it wasn't to your mind? You were just, like I said, a kid. And a kid, kids don't think about that. Savannah? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I had, I had an interest. I always had, like, the toys that were available. Like, I had baby dolls that were Black, and I had, you know, the occasional Barbie doll that was Black. Um, And, you know, those things were always available to me if I wanted them. Um, But at the same time, you know, I just grew up around you know, my white family members and all my classmates were white. And, you know, I'm just surrounded by so much whiteness that I didn't really know what it meant to be black, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I still struggle with what it means to be black. Like I really don't have an answer. And, you know, I went through phases where I didn't really label myself as anything. And then I was like, no, I'm biracial. And now I'm like, well, no, I'm black. Like, you know, because at the end of the day, if people look at me, they're going to look at me and say, she's black or she's something that's not white. Um, But no one's ever going to look at me and say, she's white. If that makes sense. <laughs> or you get the question, where are you from? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I I mean, I get that a lot. I I used to get that all throughout school, high school, especially. Um, and it wasn't just where are you from? It's always what part of Africa are you from? Um, and I always find that to be such an interesting thing because, you know, just because you're black doesn't mean that you come straight from Africa. Um, and I always found that that was something that people couldn't necessarily comprehend. So, yeah, that they, they, a lot of people don't. So was there other black kids where you, where you were at school? Um, so in elementary school, there was only two of us and, um, our teachers would actually call us by each other's names um and it was sort of they thought that it was like cute and funny um that they were mixing us up because you know we were the only two little black girls um and if you actually look at us side by side we look nothing alike um and then you know once I hit high school teachers were still calling us by each other's names and I didn't even have the same teachers as her and it was just easier to not point out the fact that that's not who I am and to just like let it go (laughs) um but yeah I think in my um grade 12 like class we had um 500 and like 50 ish graduates um and I think there was only 
there was less than 10 of us. Wow. Like that's, I think that's kind of lazy work that you like, Oh, you're both black with confusion because you're black. Like, go ahead. Exact same experience. I had the exact same experience. And this other little black girl got lice and this like teacher went to my mother and told her, which is supposed to be confidential, all about this other kid's lice until my mom was like, you've got the wrong black kid in the most aggressive way to make them understand that they had screwed us up. Same exact thing happened to me. We did not look alike. They were, she was darker and had a brother who went to the school as well, whereas I had no siblings. Same thing. Yeah. That is insane though. Like, I mean, that you kids, you know, they have different, forms and stuff like you don't confuse the other white kids why would you confuse <laughs> and again not to say teachers have a hard time they they have a hard time i i can't stress enough uh the amount of work that teachers do but the fact that you should be able to know the kids names i mean i can see that's kind of like in the basic aspect of things but I mean, that is crazy to me. And again, I'm sorry that people, you girls have to go through that, but that that is the reality. So as a person of color going to school, how would you say that the experience was personally to you? Um, It was pretty rough. I mean, I would not go back to school if I had the chance, Um, you know, from elementary school like when I was in kindergarten um you know I came home crying to my mom asking to take a bath because one of my classmates told me that because my skin was brown I was dirty and I smelled and you know I was only five and that continued on all the way through high school um I don't know if you guys have ever read To Kill a Mockingbird or not, um, but I had to read that in English class. And of course, I was the only Black student in the class. So they, everyone wanted to know what my opinion was. And I mean, I'd hope that my opinion about the book was the same as everyone's opinion. <laughs> um, but my, my teacher was passing out the books and, and announced to the class that because, you know, this book uses the, the N word, um, that she was going to say it because it was just a word and it meant absolutely nothing. And, you know, that we didn't have to say it, but at the end of the day, it means nothing and it shouldn't matter. That it doesn't mean anything. So I was in the I was in the tenth grade, and I'm not the kind of person who likes conflict. So of course I just kind of sat there and like nodded my head, like okay. Um, but it was it was very uncomfortable, and yeah, like so it it was my whole public school career, I guess, that I dealt with that. Wow, that it doesn't mean anything, you know, like well. 300 years of slavery, ah, nothing. The, the word means nothing. Civil rights, you know, people getting killed, raped, you know, ah, the N word doesn't mean anything. That That is, oh my God, I, I hope that doesn't happen with my kids because I would have a tantrum at that school. I would cause mayhem. Uh, would you say that your experiences, your, your experiences or bad experiences were mostly in school or like led up to school? They were always in school. <laughs> um, you know, I, of course, like I played sports and stuff like outside of school, but there were never any issues like 
outside of school. Um, it was always between the four walls of whatever, you know, level of education I was at. So would it be correct to say that most of your racism experience happened at school? Yes. Oh, wow. So how does somebody, and again, I'm, I'm not, I guess I'll, I'll, got towards you, but you don't have to answer it because I don't think nobody would have the answer for that. How did you learn to live with those experiences going over? Because again, I, I think school is half of our lives, technically. So did you became numb to it or, or how did you deal with it? I mean, I wouldn't say that I became numb to it per se, but I definitely had the mindset that nothing surprised me anymore. Um, you know, they, it wasn't like clockwork where every couple of days I was dealing with some sort of issue. Um, but it was definitely enough that I, it was like persistent. Um, but yeah, like I sort of gave up in a way, like, um, you know, I had gone through the motions of being silent and just like nodding along and kind of saying like, okay, like that's not nice to say or whatever. Um, and then I switched, um, to a platform of being more vocal and educating people and stuff like that. And then I got to the point where I realized that no one else was backing me up. So it was easier to just get up and leave class than have to deal with it. And what about the teachers and the principal and the school board? Did any of them interfered in any sort of way? Um, no. <laughs> um, so especially, uh, you know, I had the most issues in high school um, because, of course, at those ages, people are aware of what they're saying um, and they know what it means and they have the intention. Um, but, you know, on multiple different occasions, um, it was just I was told that it was my word against their word and there was no proof of what was said. So they really can't do anything about it. And how did your mom take that? She was very upset. I mean, naturally any parent would be, um, but at the same time, she also kind of followed in my footsteps and followed what I wanted to do because there were certain instances where she wanted to email the principal and do this and that. And I was like, no, like, I don't want that to happen because I know that there's going to be some sort of domino effect. And she listened. And then there were other times where I said, this is not okay. I want you to do something about it. And then she would take the appropriate measures. Oh, wow. So, I mean, we had had previous guests here. Uh, I think uh, that, you know, and the common denominator is racism at school. I, I don't think... I I think maybe one or two out of all these guests that we had had over the years have said that school was cool. Like, it was great. It was amazing. Uh, but most of the people of color, older and younger, have said that they experience racism in school, especially in New Brunswick, especially in, in Atlantic Canada. Like, in Atlantic Canada, is it's known for that, uh, which is a sad thing to say. But there comes a point that, you know, this goes way past education, right? This goes to your life. This, this affects your life. And Hillary can, she, there, she has written multiple blogs about this, uh, multiple texts about how 
this kind of led to things like addiction or or things like you know it, it, you know like getting some type of physical or verbal abuse and things like that uh would you say that that has happened to you that uh, that has caused trauma or mental mental illness in your life or or some type of things that you have to deal with because of that i would say that it's definitely played a factor in mental health issues um because you know i'm dealing with this every day at school and then i'm coming home and having the internal conflict of not knowing who i am um and that definitely caused a lot of um anxiety and you know sadness because a lot like a lot of people are asking me questions that i didn't have the answers to and then it just became frustrating and it just you know i always had this cloud hanging over my head with the question of who am i and when you can't answer that yourself then you just kind of feel like there's no hope in a way if that makes sense Hillary, would you add to that? Because I think you you would say that that kind of happened to you as well. Oh, a hundred percent. I think that it affected my self esteem in a way that led to me just trying to fill it in different ways. I definitely relate to just not knowing who I am and feeling. And I've said this before, but like just feeling like there was no sense of community around me for me even to explore and not knowing where to start. Um, And yeah, a definite sadness and just trying to like grapple at anything that made me feel like, is this the person that I am? Is this happiness? Is this fulfilling? Is this interesting to me? And then you sort of become like, I know that this also comes from other various traumas, but you end up becoming a mosaic of other people that you want to be like, but they're not you and they don't fully represent you and they don't fully represent who you want to be. And so now I'm just like in therapy, like what? elements of the people that I wanted to be like are truly genuine to my personhood. And so I'm 27 trying to figure out who I am when I could have figured it out at 14. If I would have had a sense of self or desire to be black or anyone in my corner saying it's okay to have braids or be a color or be someone different. This is crazy because I'm sitting here listening to everyone and I'm being filled with like a huge sadness myself. And I'm, I'm, I was actually, before you said that, feeling like I'm going through some kind of therapy right now because I always say, like I said earlier, around all these cultures and that was my sense of community. But I, I me and my siblings spent our whole lives um, asking those same questions too. And we've talked about it. Like we didn't know who we were. We didn't know where we belonged. We didn't, and it, it probably did cause a lot of different self-esteem issues in each of us. So even though we're not even done the episode, I just love talking to other people. When I when I was young, there wasn't a lot of mixed kids around. Um, when my parents got married, and they got married in like the '60s. Um, This is like before the civil rights <laughs> movements in the States. So there weren't a lot of mixed kids growing around. There was every culture, but there weren't kids like me. And uh, go on. But uh, yeah, I'm really feeling <laughs> everything here too. Everything you're saying, Savannah. I mean, go ahead, Hillary. Sorry. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say something. I was just moving a braid. I was just moving a, oh, okay. a, a, a flyaway hair. Go on. <laughs> Now, a lot of people would say that, okay, teens go to depression. Teens go to this phase. They they would say that. But what would you tell somebody that would say that to you or Hillary? Like, what, what would you say that would you say, oh, all teens go to this kind of phase of depression and mental illness? Like, what, what would you say? Um, I would say 
you know, that's obviously perfectly natural that, you know, we're going through these big changes in our lives. Um, but I feel as though, um, depression that other teens may have would not be directly related to their race, if that makes sense. Um, you know, there's plenty of other external factors that a white teen may encounter that could be the source of their depression. But I feel as though being white and questioning, you know, how do I wear this? Being white is not you can curse you. I say whatever you want. It's layers. Yeah. It's layers, right? It's yeah, like being, being plus yeah, everything like, you're discussing today. Being white is not the source of their depression. You know, they might be, they might be gay and not know it, or they might have family troubles, or they might have school troubles, or anything like that might be the root cause. But at the end of the day, I don't think that a white person or a white teen can question who am I and have it be related to race. Yeah. Uh, Hillary, would you agree on that or would you? Yeah. What I was going to say is that it's, it's the same conversation around privilege, right? And how white people are like, how can you say I have white privilege if I'm poor? And it's not to say that there aren't white people or other ethnicities that have it hard. It's just to say that this is specifically a, like a, a sadness, a detriment, a questioning of self because of being mixed race or an identity that doesn't go with the flow or isn't the majority of the kids in New Brunswick. And you asking that question reminded me that like there's teen depression, but there was a black eight year old kid in 2019 who committed suicide because of being bullied. That's not teen depression. That's overt racism, making a kid kill himself at an age of eight when he should be like concerned about Paw Patrol, not about his identity. So it's not teen depression. It's not. I don't know what to do and my hormones are fluctuating. It's like kids being targeted across multiple countries because of their identity. And like, I shouldn't have been called a nigger baby at two. I shouldn't have had kids like say things about me in the third grade. That's not teenage years. That's not a normal questioning of self that comes from puberty and exploring your body parts and your imagination and like television and like sexuality and those things. It's an innate thing of, I like, like Savannah said, seeing your skin and thinking that you're dirty when you're five is not a normal part of growing up. That's not something that any kid should have to go through. I mean, I definitely agree in in it. Well, in every sense, shape or form, I think one of the factors here in, in Atlantic Canada is that I think race in schools, uh, and we're going to talk about that in, in a little bit later on, I think it's not taught i think it, it doesn't it doesn't there's not saying like hey look what racism has caused over these centuries and this is why it's not okay and this is what the repercussions and and this is what especially in a place like we're so close to nova scotia that has like a history of that like it, it has a hundred year history even let's not even go that far Fredericton or st john Hundreds of years of histories of Black people uh, being repressed, being in economic positions, and and this is not taught in school, and that's why kids don't really say too much about it. Uh, they don't they don't understand it, and frankly, they don't care. Uh, but when you were in school, and that's something that I see a lot here. Did you ever realize that there was nothing about racism that was 
taught or there was nothing about racism that was said or even something that is even deep enough? Did you ever realize that or did you just just went and said, this is ridiculous um, or like I said, you left? I think that in a way I kind of realized, um, you know, of course I did get up and leave from time to time because I didn't want to deal with that. But there were a lot of times where I just sat back and realized and thought that there's a lot of education that's lacking, just simple things like, you know, if you're a white person calling a black person, the N word is not a good idea. We don't do that. Um, you know, and just very simple things that I thought were self-explanatory that I know because I had to grow up with that and deal with that, um, that those were things that my white counterparts weren't aware of. And maybe they weren't aware of it, or maybe they just didn't care. Um, I don't really know, but that was definitely something that I, I realized. Now, growing up in another country, I can tell you that, that and I'm older, I'm 38 years old, growing up in another country where there's different languages and different rhythms and different things, you pretty much stay within the realms of that culture. However, I can tell you for a fact that hip hop culture has gone global. Anywhere you would go, people would want to dress like rappers. Everywhere you go, people want to be or, the, or that transcended that culture from the United States, transcended to other places. Here, it has done the same thing, but it doesn't seem to connect to white kids that, hey, this is a culture made by people of color and, you know, there should be some type of respect. And I know you enjoy it, but there seems to be uh, some type of like, sometimes they make a, a joke out of it. And that's when the racism comes, when it becomes, and that's when I say, like when that becomes a joke or racism or, or something offensive, uh, that is something that, you know, it should be like, whoa, wait a minute, this is where you draw the line. Uh, and if you, I, I think I remember Hillary's blog that people were saying like in her yearbook, oh, what's up my nigger and stuff like that and things like that. And it, it definitely comes from a, black hip-hop culture uh but it's like a quite on un- non-awareness of it did you ever try did you face that as well like you saw these people trying to be kind of black and then kind of disrespecting people for that were black um so- can't wait to hear your answer by that look on your face <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember a couple different occasions, um, when I was in the 10th grade, I, I was dating this boy, um, and he was white and, you know, I, even though I'm black, like I'm not like the keeper of all knowledge and all things that are blacks. So there was a lot of things that I didn't know. Um, and yeah. And like, he used to come to school every day with these hoodies that said NWA on the back. Well, I had no idea what NWA was like. I that's not the kind of music that I listen to. So I come home and I ask my mom and I'm like, what does NWA mean? <laughs> and she's like, well, where did you hear that? And I said, well, like this boy that I'm dating, like he, he wears all these hoodies and like he wraps all these words and like, I don't know what that means. And then she tells me and I'm like, oh, well, this is not good. Like I'm not no, no, no. Um, so, you know, I, I found it very interesting because he, he dressed the part in a way he dressed very, um, I don't know, like 
black, if that makes sense. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I, I broke up with him after like four days. Cause I was like, I don't know what's happening here. Um, but it, it eventually came out that like, he, he, you know, um, he thought that he could like appropriate that culture and he only wanted to date ethnic girls. And I remember I was like, I don't know what this like what is happening? Um, so I found that was really interesting. And then I remember when I was in grade 12, I there was this boy who was in <clears throat> a number of my classes, unfortunately. Um, and he was white and he used to come every day and he had like this bandana thing around his forehead and he used to like wear his pants low and like all these things. And I just think this is complete nonsense, of course. And he used to like rap all these words and like say all these things and like listening to these rappers that I'm like, I have no idea who you're talking about. And he used to come in every day and he'd say, Hey, what's up? My N word. I'm like, you don't just get to say that. And he's like, well, I listen to rap music and I have black friends and that means that I'm black. And I'm like, that, that does not mean that you're black. Like you can, you can appreciate the music and you can listen to these things and you can admire the culture, but it doesn't change the fact that at the end of the day, you're white and you can't just come in here and say that, you know, because you do these things that makes you black because you know, does that mean that if I do certain things that makes me white? Like, yeah. <laughs> so I just have a question for context. How many years ago was this? Um, so I graduated, I graduated in 2018. Okay. And is this at Fredericton High? Yes. <laughs> okay. It just, it just really makes sense that they just all think that they are thugs. And so them doing <laughs> taking a class photo as thugs sort of goes in line with what you're the story that you're telling well and so I after high school of course like I had never I didn't talk to this boy I mean obviously not um and it was actually a few months ago that he reached out to me on Instagram and I was very confused because like, why are you trying to talk to me? And after him like going on about, I don't even know what, he told me that he is black and that he is a strong black man and that he needs a strong black queen by his side and he wants to choose me. <laughs> I'm confused. Is he white? Yes, he is white. Like, did he do a 23 and me and found out something or he's just really doubling down on what he said three years prior? Yes, he thinks that because he has black cool. friends and he listens to rap music and does these things that that makes him black. Has anyone tested the water in Fredericton <laughs> for some kind of illness? This is too many people who think that they're black. I mean, I would not just say Fredericton. I, I, I seen this in places like... You know, Moncton, uh, we had the the girl from Negawak. What's her name? Uh, uh, Linda Way. Linda Way. She did kind of respect to something like that as well. And in, in, in places like the Miramichi, I seen. Again, I don't think it's a Fredericton issue. Uh, and I think it'd be mostly a Fredericton issue. Like, no. That's where the that's the epicenter. It just like, sounds it just sounds to zero. me like they have the the hub of white men who think that they're black and there are outliers. Because when I went to high school, of course, they were all doing the same thing, listening to rap, saying, "Hey, my nigga, what's good?" 
And I would not do the thing of like, you can't say that I had given up on that, but none of them were trying to convince me that they were black. They were convinced that because they were saying it to me, a black person, it was allowed, but they wouldn't really like say it elsewhere. They're like, no, like we're friends and you've given me the N word pass. I can say it. Right. But they weren't there being like, no, yo, I'm a black man. I'm going to need you to be my queen. Let's go out. No one wanted to date me, not even for my blackness. <laughs> so what? Why do I feel like I'm watching a fictional comedy right now? <laughs> like this, this is just this life is in the, this is being this black is... in the maritime. Marit- <laughs> but I mean, Clinton, even for you and me, we've been to the club scene and the amount of white people that were trying to say it and had to check them on that for saying the N-word, it was yeah, more than one. Want, yeah. It, it yeah. was like I, I, I usually check them real quick, but it it has happened. I mean, the people that they absolutely. So I, I don't think it's a fact. And these are adults. These were grown as ID carrying adults. When it comes to kids that some kids may know better or don't know any better, like kids, you're still trying to find out. I think personally, I didn't find out who I was till my late 20s. Uh, I think I had to find out like in my late 20s, I kind of kind of grasped it. But I think most people don't know who they are at that at that point in life. And they they did what Savannah's Instagram buddy or high school person did, which is it's crazy Uh, to us. It's crazy to the common world. It it is crazy, but it is something that and I think that's part of the white privilege. Right. Like only the white man is able to say that. Like, like only the, the white man is able to have that authority to to say that. And and I think, and I was going to go back to the the hip hop part. I think I spoke to a music executive one and he was like the only black music executive in the whole record label. And he told me something like when hip hop came in the late 80s, I'm sorry, in the early, late 70s, early 80s, uh, it was cataloged as thug music, uh, gangster music uh black music ghetto music everything when it started generating dollars for the white corporation it cataloged as urban because they had to call it something (laughs) and he told me like yeah they had to call it something they couldn't call it black music because now they were profiting out of it and people were going to be accept so they 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 got this name urban and that's what they they put a label on it and they put urban urban department or urban music or urban clothing. And when what you really were trying to say is, hey, this is black clothing. You pretty much appropriated a whole culture, but now you're profiting out of it. Uh, and that's, you know, I don't think going to Michael Hillary, he said, I don't think it's just Fredericton. I don't think it's just the Maritimes. I think it's Winnipeg. I think it's PC. I think it's Ontario. In some places, it happens less than other places. I could definitely... But I think it happens everywhere in Canada. And I think that's one of the things that Canada tries to not talk about. I think we, we try to not talk about it because it's like, oh, but it, but if you look at our website or our social media pages and places that we come, we we try not to create our own news because we're not journalists. We usually take it out of the CBC, CTV, uh, The Rude, or places that uh, in the United States or uh, Blavity or places like that, right? And the amount of kids that are bullied and the amount of kids that are facing racism in 2021, it's still ridiculous. It is still in freaking sane. Uh, and Savannah, you just got out in 2018. Like you were, 
in the age of social media. So that that's kind of crazy. Clinton, go ahead. That's just actually what I was most surprised about when I commented a few minutes ago about this like fictional comedy. Like I know you're very young, Savannah, but as I was listening to your story, I was kind of like imagining and I was thinking like this is a story from like the 90s or something <laughs> that where it happened, like bandanas and NWA sweaters and like and the school grounds rapping and using the n-word i just didn't i always joke that new brunswick is like a couple decades behind the rest of the world but that was what really caught me off guard yeah that that is again i think that's canada and and you know one of the reasons that we found you uh especially hillary that got in contact with you is because there was this piece about the school you went with which was fredericton high about a shot of the class of 2020, I think it was, or 2020. And they were all dressed like, quote unquote, gangsters, but they were all white. Uh, and again, I'm pretty sure, you know, you could have done the mafia. People would have gotten it. Uh, and I think there wouldn't be like a big thing. But basically, you're appropriating black fashion culture, and you're appropriating as criminality, which not only you're making a joke out of it, which is just the first thing you're making a, a joke, but you're also expropriating a joke out of a race that has been cataloged at things that has not. Because again, I, I think one of the things that bothered me about that is like, imagine we have seen Trevor Martin, uh, uh, well, well, as early as Emmett Till when we weren't, no one of us weren't born and we got you know, George Floyd, Amal Aubrey, uh, you know, the SEAL, we have hundreds of them. We can talk all day about how many Black people have been killed for just minding their own business. And I think one of the things that they don't understand is that there are people that wear that type of clothing and they have PhDs and they have jobs and normal lives, but they would get killed easily by the cops because they were wearing that, which is, the, the and I think that's the, the part, but you were the person that you said, I am not surprised. You were like, I'm not surprised this happened. This was cool. Now, when you saw that and you were not surprised, did it validate everything you have thought this whole time? Yeah. I mean, that was, um, my mom had originally shown me like the first picture. Um, and that, that was my first comment of this doesn't surprise me. And, you know, I, I knew I, I knew that something like this was bound to happen. I just didn't know when. And unfortunately, um, whether people want to believe it or not, that's that's what Fredericton High is like. And those are the kinds of students that go there. And again, you just got out three years ago, two and a half years ago, not, not necessarily because the school season just started. Everything's on social media. You were on social media when, when all of this happened. Was this ever a conversation that happened in social media where while you were at school? Um, do you do you mean like the like race issue or race issue or, or the fact that people are getting bullied because of the race or the fact that there's no racism thought or the fact that nobody really like that there's some I would say oppression, I would definitely say oppression to a handful of students because of the color of their skin? Um, so it was definitely not talked about. I mean, I had said earlier that all the, the all of the things that I learned, I had to do through self-education. Um, and I can't really think of a time where it was discussed. 
Um, I mean, if you count Reading to Kill a Mockingbird, there was a brief moment of civil rights and talking about that. But other than that, any type of discussion that happened in um, school was usually brought on by me. Or if uh, I didn't bring it up, um, teachers were talking about it and then they would ask what my opinion was. So then, of course, I had to fall into the educator role and teach everyone else about, you know, race and racism and stuff like that. Go ahead, Hillary. I'm just curious because of like the amount of bullying that happens on social media and you've talked about like the experiences that happened in school. And I'm just curious because like clearly this whole wearing the thug outfit or whatever was organized through like texting or social media or something. Did you experience or notice a lot of like overt racism on social media, like from your own classmates? Because that's like Facebook, I think came out when I was like in 10th grade. So I wasn't seeing like kids weren't commenting on my kids being like, yo, my nigga, what's good. I have it in permanent writing in a yearbook. But so I'm just curious if you were experiencing anything like that too, that would sort of like also validate like this whack behavior. Um, to be honest, no, I did not have a lot of friends in high school. I actually had no friends in high school. (laughs) Um, Me neither. Me neither. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, like I didn't have people commenting things like that on my social medias. I wasn't really included in any type of grad events, you know, and FHS, they do like the dress up days, obviously. Um, but I was never included in that I never received any type of text or message saying hey we're doing this today like come out and wear this and stuff like that um so I mean even if it was going on I wasn't included in it so I wouldn't have even known (laughs) I will ask you something and this goes to the higher-ups of school especially the one you went to which is Fredericton High uh would you say that the staff, either some of them are racist or racial tendencies, or they just don't. Well, I don't, I personally think that people don't give a fuck, but I think they do. Uh, but that's just my personal opinion. Uh, do you think in the higher up, there is some type of racism or bias to people of color when it comes to like the principals, the teachers, the, the, the school board and things like that? think so I mean for me when I was a student there it was kind of apparent that we weren't you know people of color and black people in particular weren't necessarily um, made to feel like we should be there Um, you know when I was going to FHS all of the staff were white Um, we had no people of color that were teachers, EAs, principals, anything like that. Um, even down to the bus drivers, like I had never been in close contact within the school system with someone who looked like me. Um, and you know, I think that that definitely plays a role and whether or not the teachers and the principals don't feel that it's necessary to talk about these things because the majority of the population is white. Um, or if it's just that they don't care, I'm not exactly sure. But what I do know is that, you know, when you are an educator saying that you don't know, isn't an option. Like it shouldn't be an 
an excuse. And if you choose to be an educator, that means that you are choosing to take on the role of educating students about all aspects of the world. And that includes more than just about white culture and white people. Mm, that's pretty good. I think I think I agree uh, in, in the sense. And again, I can't say myself because I didn't go to school here. Um, Hillary can actually budge more because uh, she went to school here and, and she has been very open about her her incidents. Now, you're now in university. Uh, you are now working with other Black people in Fredericton, like Tandaway and, you know, like all the arts, the art collective. What would you say for you personally, uh, now that you are working with other people of color that might relate to you, what what's the feeling like now versus what when you were at school? Um, it definitely feels less lonely. Um, I feel like I have a community of people that I can talk to that, you know, understand me. And, um, you know, it's just nice to be able to go to people and say, hey, this is what happened. And for them to be able to relate and give suggestions or sit and talk to me about it and how I'm feeling and stuff like that. And I didn't have that opportunity when I was in the education system, well, the public education system. Um, I never had a mentor or friends or anything like that who looked like me, who could, who had experienced those things where they could then advise me on what I should do. Um, and I think that's definitely the biggest difference. Now, I'm going to draw a plug. Uh, we're doing a, a special episode on CBC all week about racism and school bullying uh, in New Brunswick. Uh, and we have talked to several people um, about this. And I, I'll ask you the same question uh, I asked to Kelsey Burke, which is one of the persons that I interviewed that she's going to uh, be part and showcase. What do you think is needed in our schools for this to be less of an issue? As somebody that has experienced it? I think the starting point is, um, you know, to A, educate the teachers who are currently teaching, but then to also get more teachers um, and educated professionals who are of color, who can, you know, speak more to those issues, but then also to question why we don't have a lot of teachers who are of color and why, you know, they're not applying for jobs, at least in, I mean, in Fredericton, this is what I'm speaking to. Um, but, you know, asking ourselves, why is, you know, Fredericton a majority uh, white education system and how can we fix that because I think that it's once we start asking ourselves those questions that then we'll kind of have a domino effect um, which will then create more change. Hillary could you add something to that because I think you you probably would have something to add as well. Yeah I mean I asked um, my former high school teacher who I interviewed and it's it's um, what she highlighted is that there are teachers who may be don't want to change the way that they teach. And so it becomes an issue with the pedagogy of I don't really want to include black history in these courses. And so unless you literally tell me to, I'm going to let it fall to other teachers who maybe have more comfortability with it. And so it becomes about 
our government, who we know presently just loves black people, to me to put policies in place. Um, and they to, love indigenous, too. Yes, they do. Um, to put policies in place where people who don't want to support black people don't have another option but to support these narratives and help these people. And I definitely agree that asking those tough questions about, like, where are black teachers or people teaching black history who can also be representative of that culture and of these different diversities? When I graduated high school almost 10 years ago, there still weren't there weren't black teachers then either. There apparently still aren't, at least in Fredericton. I don't know that there are any at Harrison Tribble High School where I went now. And like the person I interviewed did say that the situation is better and there's a lot more diversity in terms of students. But there's still a long way to go. And the other issue that was highlighted to me, not to spoil the whole interview, but the way that things are evolving so quickly with social media and with social injustice issues is that the the, the works that they're giving teachers to educate themselves with are not being updated fast enough with the way the world is moving. And so it's about dismantling that system as well. If you're relying on the district to get the teachers up to to pace with what black people are experiencing in real life. They're apparently their books and years behind, you know, the George Floyd incident and what's going on now. And so a lot needs to be updated and fixed. I'll ask this question to everybody, including myself, because I'm, I, I know Clinton, Hillary, you guys are working on a project, uh, which it's a great, I think it's a great initiative. And I think it's something, hopefully it goes forward. But is it a job of the system to get this kind of under control? Or do you think it's something that people have to push to get that up to the system? Or people have to just take it on their own hands to get it under control? Savannah, oh. you can go first. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I will say that it's something that we're probably going to have to push for. Um, you know, anything that we've ever gotten or, you know, fought for, we've had to do the work ourselves. Um, I would like to say that, you know, the internal system should be able to acknowledge that it's a problem and they should be able to take the appropriate actions in order to uh, fix the problem. Um, but I do think that we as a society have to, will have to, um, you know, fight for it um, in order to get the system to recognize that it's a problem and something needs to be done. Clinton? Um, I would say we could discuss all day whose, whose job it is, but we, what we know is that the system hasn't done it. And so that the people do have to push for it and fight for it to make the system do it because only the system can do it. Um, so we have to become the system and, and do it. Hillary? Um, I agree with both of you. I think that obviously like black people, marginalized people, diverse people have to fight for their seats at the table, unfortunately, but there also needs to be like room at the table made. Like we can continue to argue for black history to be added into curriculums for teachers to have diversity training for those things to be up to date. But if there aren't 
infrastructures, systems, funds to back up the the cause, we're not going to really get anywhere until people in leadership want to change the policies, want to listen to us and the other people who are contributing to this continuum and the other, you know, movements that are trying to happen. So I think that we have to start it and we have to fight for what we want, but there has to be people backing the movement because unfortunately we do not have enough power to usurp Blaine Higgs and get what we need and what we want. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, As for myself, I, I will definitely say that I am kind of like one of the people that I don't wait to get a seat on the table. I just sit myself and then say like, Hey, here I am. What you like, I'll push the table. I'll push the door. If I need to get in the goddamn seat. Uh, That's, that's my way of thinking. Uh, Now, is it wrong or is it right? I definitely don't know. I, I would definitely say I don't I don't have the answer for that. However, when it comes to things like this, uh, somebody has to do something. I mean, we cannot just stand there and, and watch it just happen. And and over the years, you know, it's so easy for people like us to say, Am I the problem? Because that's where you first go to. You first like, am I not good enough? Am I not insecure enough? Am I not this person? Am I not this and this and that? Because you first, and then when you realize that, oh, it just doesn't happen to you. And it just happens to the people that just happen to have the same shade of the skin that you have. Nothing in common. Sometimes you don't even speak the same language. And it just happens the same thing that happens to you happens to them. Uh, just because of the shade of it. So I don't necessarily know what the best way to go. I think we have to change the system because that's how it goes. I I think that's something given not just for racism. I think the whole structure of the way we live in is because of changes on the system. However, I also think that I, as a parent, I cannot just let the system go to my children as I know, but, but that's because I know it, right? Like I'm pretty sure Hillary's mom didn't know the system because she was a single mom. Your mom probably had other things that didn't know the system. I actually had to, I had to take the time to do this and it, it's taken me a while. But as a parent, I see like, wait a minute, I, I cannot let this happen to my kids. So I have to do something about it. So I personally, I think it, it has to be maybe a hybrid of things. I think maybe people have to change to push for change, but I also, I think people have to make change. Uh, and again, I don't even know if that's the right answer to it just because it's, it's very complex. Now, um, Savannah, what do you hope for now that for yourself, now that you are in university and what's the experience been in university and what do you hope for the future as, as a person? Um, my experiences has been pretty good so far. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that I'll be able to connect with the black community, um, in university and I can, you know, make more friends and connect with more people who are like me. And I just hope that I'll be able to continue, um, my path of advocacy work and work on my writing and really, um, you know, create some waves and make some change. All right. So if people want to reach you, where do they go to? 
Um, so I have a Facebook page that has some of my writing on it. Um, it's called Savannah's Voice. Um, but other than that, I'm on Instagram and I'm also on Facebook and yeah, I'm everywhere. <laughs> All right. So Savannah, I, we really want to thank you uh, for being on this. I think it's it's pretty interesting. And I I learned a lot. I, I definitely think that uh, I, I wanted to take this interview and maybe the guys want to take it to certain places, but I see that there is a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of experience from your things in high school. Some that could be even very traumatic. And I feel like those, I don't want to even ask them because I don't think they're proper to go to the, to, to people to get to. Uh, but I think that you came out of it and I hope, more people come out of it. And again, I, I will encourage you to people of color, please uh, uh, try to get mental help, try to get help. I, I definitely think that that is important, especially for younger people uh, that are going to maybe something and hit us up, like hit us up at black and the at gmail.com. Just tell us your experience. Uh, and we definitely want to hear more from other people that might experience what you, you guys went to. So uh all right so you guys have anything else to say i'm good just thank you so much for coming on uh, especially short notice i'm really excited that we get to line this up with the cbc interviews that will be airing this week um i think that the all this will all be released in conjunction hopefully but thank you and i'm i'm sorry you went through what i went through except so many years <laughs> later and that the province has never progressed <laughs> well thank you guys for having me Oh, always, for sure. Uh, and again, guys, just subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, don't forget to rate and leave a comment. Also, uh, please donate on Patreon, PayPal. Uh, check out our website, Black in the Maritimes. And go to our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at Black in the Maritimes. So thank you for listening. Peace. Bye.